Okay. We're here with Melinda Taylor. Melinda is a senior lecturer at the University of Texas School of Law, formerly of the Environmental Defense Fund. And you are now working on some research that we're going to talk about today with the uh, George S. Mitchell Foundation. Yes. <clears throat> Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, David. So this work uh, concerns the intensity of energy development in West Texas. Why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about what that project is? Sure. So I think everybody is familiar with the tremendous um, expansion, the boom in oil and gas drilling that's occurred in the Permian Basin since about 2008, um, when the Permian's been developed for literally 100 years, but just since 2008, with the advent of horizontal drilling coupled with fracking, um, a whole bunch of layers of shale out in that part of the state have become economically recoverable. So there's been a tremendous increase in oil and gas drilling there. There's also, at the same time, we're seeing a, a lot of investment, a lot of new wind development, um, as well as a pretty good amount of utility-scale solar facilities being installed. So the project that we've been working on um, has focused really on well, four counties, but three that have been up to this point pretty unimpacted, um, pretty um, pristine. They have not been affected by oil and gas or any other sort of energy development. Um, so that's Presidio, Brewster, and Jeff Davis counties. And those are where Big Bend National Park um, exists, the Davis Mountains State Park, um, Guadalupe National Park, and some other really iconic beautiful places that, that Texans identify with and, and are beloved by, by people across the state. Those areas have not been impacted by energy development until now. And so now we're sort of seeing, of course, not in the national parks. We're not going to see it in the parks. But in the landscape around the parks, we're starting to see um, oil and gas exploration as well as new wind turbines, new transmission, uh, new solar facilities, again, with accompanying transmission, new roads, and other types of infrastructure. So this project is not in any way designed to try to stop that or even slow it down necessarily, but it is meant to inject a, um, a planning process into that, um, purely voluntary, but we're working with local community leaders, with large landowners, small landowners, energy companies, um, a number of academics who have expertise on the, the resources of that region, and we're doing a community-based landscape-scale conservation plan for the region. And through the planning process, we'll identify areas that are best suited for energy development. Um, and if you think degraded agricultural lands, overgrazed places, um, places that really do not have a lot of biological diversity, places where um, you know, water is not as serious an issue as it is in other parts of the region, that kind of thing. And we will look at a whole suite of different types of incentives to try to encourage energy development in those places, and at the same time identify the really important iconic resources and really sensitive resources where we can build consensus around the idea that energy should not be developed in those places. So um, we expect the process to take probably a year um, to complete, or at least for the planning phase, to take about a year. And then beyond that, to be implementing, to be um, you know, working on conservation easements and possibly local regulatory tools and a whole kind of assortment of different approaches to try to achieve the 
the vision that we're putting together. Do those counties, you mentioned iconic places, do those counties include uh, the Balmeray they uh, Springs well, and, and, the, and the McDonald Observatory? Yes, definitely the McDonald Observatory, which is near um, Fort Davis, the town of Fort Davis, in Fort, or in Jeff Davis County. Um, Balmeray is in Reeves County, so oh. it's just to the north of this region. But um, I said that we were focused primarily on these three counties, but at the same time, actually, we are doing work in Reeves County as well. So Reeves County is the, the place where the Alpine High, which is this very significant discovery of um, oil and, and associated gas, was made by Apache Corporation in September 2016, or announced in September 2016. Massive discovery. Um, Apache, just that company, has leased about 340,000 acres of land um, in Reeves County. And there have been a number of concerns up there by local residents and by Texas Parks and Wildlife because of the potential impacts on Balmoree Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yeah. surprised to hear that. Yeah, yeah exactly. So there's, um, there's the conflict between state and local governments over fracking has been in the news all over the country, right. um, including in Colorado where you spend some of your time and here in Texas and up in the Northeast, all over. And it sounds like a lot of your recommendations involve or the things you're looking at involve things local governments can do to regulate development. Do you expect that these will run into those sorts of preemption conflicts with the state, these kind of recommendations? Yeah, so we're not naive about what is possible politically in Texas, even at the local government level. Um, This is a state that has a very um, strong energy industry. It has a strong tradition of, you know, our economy is built on the energy sector in many ways. And um, even local governments that are really particularly concerned about, you know, local impacts, for the most part in Texas, have not been too inclined to step out there and try to do something from a regulatory standpoint. So we're, we're going into this assuming that to really achieve conservation on a large scale, we're going to need voluntary agreements, frankly. Um, I mean, over the long term, I think looking at a tool like a Surface Damage Act in Texas, which would have to be enacted at the state legislative level, um, could be a super helpful tool for us to have. Um, but that's actually several steps down the road. Um, and right now, Frank, it may sound pretty elementary, but it is um, fundamental to just kind of changing the mindset about energy development in Texas is to really get people thinking about siting from something other than the perspective of prox- just proximity trans- to transmission or pipelines or, um, you know, just the location of the resource. So it's um, – anyway, so that we're, we're not necessarily looking at a regulatory solution, at least not in the near term. All right. So given that, you know, some of this will have to be voluntary, are you engaging with companies on these issues? We are, yes. Um, yeah, so we've formed something called a stakeholder advisory group out in the region, and there are, let's see, five different energy companies represented on that group. There's a pipeline company, um, there's a renewables company, and there are three oil and gas companies on, all participating there. So, yeah, so we're we're very much engaging them and trying to sort of as we go through the process, testing our ideas and ground truthing those ideas with with the industry to see what their reaction is. And I guess we'll find out what, how that all turns yes. out. Yeah. So um, <laughs> as you know, this it, we're talking because we're uh, putting together 
um, interviews with people like yourself for a website that focuses on the trade-offs associated with the transition to a greener energy mix. And you mentioned wind and solar as being part of the intensity of energy development out there in West Texas. Can you talk a little bit about the kinds of impacts uh, you're studying and thinking about and concerned about in connection with, with green development out there? Sure. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's a very tricky issue to try to navigate because, you know, I don't think – in fact, I know that nobody engaged in our project wants to discourage wind or solar in West Texas. I mean, that's a booming industry. It's something that's critical to the long-term sustainability of our state. So that's absolutely true. But um, there are significant impacts on the surface of, you know, wind. We don't have as much utility-scale solar yet in Texas. But I think um, just in Pecos County, there's a billion dollars worth of investment on the books. But and, and something like 30 gigawatts in the queue yeah, or something like it's, that. It's, it's a huge amount. So yeah. we're going to be seeing that. And primarily, the the impacts that we're concerned about out there are fragmentation of habitat, um, loss of habitat, um, some of the erosion and other issues you know, land-related issues that occur as much during uh, construction, frankly, as they do during operation. So um, one of the one of our partners in this project is the Nature Conservancy. Actually, not the the Texas chapter is involved, but it, we're engaged with their national program that has looked at um, this notion of energy sprawl across the country, and has developed a process called development by design, which essentially is kind of, um, you know, if you think about it, it's the principles we're trying to do in West Texas where you think broadly, you know, look at a landscape scale um, of impacts, potential impacts, identify where there may be conflicts between, say, a wind turbine or a wind farm and a particular species of habitat, and figure out what you can do to minimize or mitigate that impact. So it may mean um, avoiding certain types of habitat altogether. It might mean... Um, you know, developing a different part of this landscape rather than, you know, spreading everything across the entire surface. Um, again, the notion is to try as best we can not to say no to renewables or any other type of energy development um, without being able to say, just propose an alternative way to get it done it's less, with less of that impact. I hear you right that you're sort of thinking about a process that would be a case-by-case -case sort of studying the particular issues associated with any particular proposal or development in a particular place and then sort of creating a process whereby those things could be worked out yes. as opposed to, say, a zoning code that says you can do it here, you can't do it here. Exactly, except we, want, we do want to look across a large scale. So we don't want to take um, a particular company's proposal, for example, on, you know, several thousand acres and just look in that, at that in isolation. Rather, the notion is to look across, you know, the entire region. And it didn't, I mean, we're looking at this three-county area that's as big as the state of Ohio <laughs> and try to, yeah, and try to identify the particular resources in that, you know, in that huge landscape, frankly, um, and take that to the stakeholder advisory group and weight different resources. Again, it's not going to be avoid every acre of, say, black bear habitat. But instead, sort of get a sense of, okay, how are black bears distributed across this landscape? And what do we have to do to protect the most important migration corridors or the most important, you know, denning habitat or whatever it is for that species? So, but that's just one example. I mean, again, we're kind of looking at a whole suite of different values. 
So a lot of people are talking about building a lot of green infrastructure fast, yes. right? And right. so um, this process doesn't sound fast. And yeah. So how do you how do you think about that issue? Yeah, I think, it, and that's a really important issue. I think um, it, we're trying to move as quickly as we can. And I, as I say, I think within a year we'll have this plan laid out. Um, there are way. I mean, it's possible to do it. I, one of our kind of models for this was the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management process that they went through to create those solar renewable um, investment zones. Um, in the Mojave? Yeah, it's basically across the southwest, okay, yeah. but mainly in the Mojave Desert, yeah. right? And, you know, the the federal government has a they, – they have permitting. You know, they have a, a mechanism that they can use to incentivize people to sort of abide by their plan. But they put those renewable um, zones together in about 18 months. So it's, it's possible to do it. I mean, again, and we don't want it – kind of perfection to be the enemy of something robust that people buy into. <laughs> and so we want to move quickly and get it out there. But I, I hear you. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a push to build transmission, you know, get the turbines up, get the solar facilities out there and for good reason. So yeah, and some of it's can't sort of, some, of, some of it's a business push, you know, that yeah. people can make money off, especially solar now with, with it being right. relatively undeveloped in Texas and that being such a good resource and it being west of where the right. demand is, which is really you can make more money that way. And then there's also the sort of Green New Deal type of ideological push to just let's get some get renewable, going, more and yeah. more renewables on the system. And so it's in, it, this makes for a particularly interesting yeah. conversation, I think, that you're in the middle of here. Yeah, and one of the things that we're actually sort of tiptoeing around right now is there have been some pretty vocal opponents to wind, especially during this session of the Texas legislature. And we in no way, I mean, this project is um, being funded by and sort of directed by the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, which is a nonpartisan, non-advocacy uh, charitable foundation. And we certainly don't want to inadvertently step into a situation where we're seen to be supporting an effort that's anti-green power. I mean, that, you know, that's not what this is about. So we're, I think all of the people in, engaged in this are very cognizant of that. And so we, but it really is a tightrope, sort of arguing for um, not a reduction in investment in green power, but just let's be smarter about it. Let's do it better than it would otherwise be done in a landscape that's entirely private, privately owned and there's very little, you know, in the way of siting restrictions. In fact, I'm not aware of any siting <laughs> restrictions right. or requirements in the state of Texas. So, um, anyhow. It's so. a spectacular place. I've only been out there once, and we were talking before we started recording, and it's just, it's just an amazing place. And, and I learned when I was out at Big Ben that Big Ben was created by private landowners who got together and approached the government for the preservation of yeah. This wonderful, what has become this wonderful national park. Right, that's right. Um, a lot of people know that George Mitchell was sort of the father of fracking. It's yeah. The foundation that's sponsoring your work, but probably people don't know as well that he was really concerned about the environmental impacts of fracking and afraid that the industry was going to, in his words, screw it up. Exactly. Right? Um, and so you're looking at, your, but you're also looking at gas development, as you said at the outset. So you're looking at all of this together yes. and the intensity of development and just trying to come up with an organized way, a better way of managing it. Right, exactly. And, and in some ways with the oil and gas piece, 
there, at least one can conceive of creative legal approaches, right? Like unionization or lease provisions that are really rigorous about land surface reclamation, um, you know, replanting the areas where the pads have been after the pads are removed, that sort of thing. With with the wind stuff and solar, it's actually a little more difficult because it's it's less regulated, at least insofar as the surface impacts are concerned. And those structures are there until they go out of commission, you know. So it's, yeah. You have that past experience and all the knowledge you get from it to draw on. And, and then I suppose you would worry about decommit or the lack of decommissioning right. of these things when they're no longer <laughs> yeah. useful, they just get a, you're worried about them being abandoned. Exactly, yeah. Farmers all over the country are sort of dealing with, what yeah. with especially with respect to solar, I think. They worry right. about that, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is all really interesting. I, I should mention one other thing. There's there's a documentary in the works about this. There is. This problem and this issue. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit about that and, and when yeah, that's coming out? Right. So um, it's a documentary that's being put together by a company called The Rational Middle, which has done um, other energy-related documentaries. Um, it's called The Long Game, I think. <laughs> There's a trailer out. So there is a trailer out. Yeah. Yes, you, the trailer is available on YouTube. Um, and it'll actually be done in a series of episodes. I think four different episodes are planned, so each one is 20 minutes long or something. And the first one should be ready at some point this summer. So. Well, we'll link, link them when we well, post this. Great. Um, and, well, thanks very much for sitting down to talk to us. This has been no, fun. No, thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, David.